You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another jam-packed, exciting edition of Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento, coming to you from the uh, International Trade Conference in Isle of Palms, South Carolina. With me, as always, is the uh, is the uh, Oreo cookie to the cream in my Oreo cookie sandwich. Uh, the shrimp in my gumbo, Mr. Doug Draper, out in Colorado. Yep. Doug, how are you? Good to see Troy back. Yes, Troy took a. He was on vacation, but it's all back back in business. But yeah, Colorado's good. I'm in my three by three soundproof box in my co working space right now. So uh, I think you're. Looks like you got a, a better view and a more enjoyable day ahead. Uh, we'll see about enjoyable, but it is nice. It's kind of chilly here, so there will be no dipping in the ocean today for me, Doug. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to yeah. happen. No. Yeah. Well, uh, KB and I were talking just offline or off air that uh, the snow is arrived, has arrived, not in large quantities, but he was up camping and I was up in uh, Crested Butte, Colorado this weekend with a whole bunch of college buddies um, and wives. So it was pretty mellow, uh, but there is snow on the peaks and it is definitely feeling like fall and close to winter. So we're excited. I was doing a lot of work related drinking, Doug this weekend. Um, yeah. One of the problems with this business is these um, these meetings, these symposiums, these trade shows. It's just a collection of freight people and freight people do enjoy tipping them back. So yeah. um, no exception. No yeah. Exception. But all the work, yeah, all the work gets done at the bar afterwards. It's the, uh, yeah. it's the chatter during the day, but the work and the connections happen uh, probably after nine or 10 o'clock. Definitely for guys like you and I. Um, we're trying to close deals and make things happen. And that's certainly how that goes, but I'm like, I don't have it in me anymore, man. I'm, I mean, I'm generally ready for bed about nine ish. I'm not as bad as you. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not catching um, the, the, the six o'clock news watching the rerun of Matlock and, and hitting, hitting the sack, but uh, yeah. I'm not much, I'm not much better, pal. Yeah. Well, Matlock is a good, uh, entree into some of our halftime uh that uh, our audience will will hear i think i think that's the right era but we'll we'll figure it out so Ish. yeah well yeah. I, I introduced today so that means that you're going to give us our first topic this week and uh before we start as always thank you to the good people at cap logistics for sponsoring the show a company that neither of us work for um <laughs> i don't think we've mentioned that nearly enough but they're they're yeah. positively wonderful in supporting the show a fantastic company for, for those of you that watch and support us please do check them out at caplogistics.com uh, we can't thank them enough for their positively um, incredible support endless support of the show and for loaning us keenan who for all of his faults does do a good job producing the show mm -hmm. so with that said doug what do you got for us, pal? All right. Well, this dovetails a little bit to what I spoke about last, last week or the week before, but um, it's related to parcel. My, I, my entree into this crazy uh, logistics world 25-odd years ago was in the parcel business uh, through Airborne Express. That's a drinking story uh, for sure at a later date. But um, So I have an affinity to parcel and kind of how things go and evolve, and that is certainly cyclical and seasonal. Um and we are entering the, um, the, the, the season for parcel and e-commerce and, uh, and the holiday surge. So one thing that caught my attention, Pete, is that uh, USPS has announced that they are doing no seasonal surcharges this year. And um, what, what, what that has done is there's other regional carriers um, 
uh, regional parcel carriers that are kind of uh, following suit. So there was a big one up in Chicago. They dubbed themselves as like the fifth biggest parcel carrier uh, in the country, but uh, OSM Worldwide, another company called Viho and Axel Hire. Now they're all involved with injecting parcels further down into the USPS uh, delivery uh, behemoth to help reduce cost and get that final mile delivery as inexpensively as possible. So my whole point there is that, all right, the post office said no surcharges, um, and then subsequent companies that support that business have also said that. So the question uh, that came in my mind is like, what's going to happen with uh, the big boys, with uh, FedEx and UPS and and, uh, and how they're going to handle it? Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, I think what's transpired is that everybody hedged their bets during the UPS potential strike. And there were executives all over the country that pushed down to their director level and said, find us a solution, make sure we don't get burned and, and look at diversification to make sure our parcels to our clients and customers uh, are not interrupted. And so what that did was a lot of diversification, a lot of um, additional companies, regional parcel carriers that uh, may not be household names to most people listening to the show, but um, it's been dispersed a little bit as far as um, the different types of companies and the different way people are engaging with parcel. And, and I think that uh, USPS announced it. Companies that support that injection into the final mile have followed. And um, I, I think that we're going to see a mellowing of surcharges around uh, the uh, the parcel delivery uh, mechanism as we roll into uh, Q4. For all the things that we've spoken about with the economy and and uh, interest rates going up and people just a little wary about what's going to happen as we end, end the year and start 2024. So my whole point is I think some of the, oh my gosh, you mean I have to pay an extra five bucks to get it here just because I ordered it between these two months period? I don't think it's going to happen this year, Pete. Yeah. I, when I read your topics today and I saw that, I think it was, was it two weeks ago, you were talking about how, what was it? UPS was, was going to give people refunds. Yeah, or uh, in order to break their contract with FedEx, it's uh, it's almost like a like rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, duck season, where uh, it's a buyer's market, it's a seller's market, it's a buyer's market, it's a seller's market, right? The the, the folks at, at UPS and FedEx were going to deal with a possible strike, so everyone was going crazy to lock in rates and get contracts, and you know we got to run to these these providers to get things done, and then oh that all fell apart. And now there's no volume. So everyone's trying to drop their rates as fast as they can to try to sign on volume out of nowhere. And, um, you know, while that's happening, the economy is just getting worse and worse from, from an input standpoint. There's really not a lot of inventory moving around. We're going to talk about that in a minute too, you know. So all these, these providers are finding themselves scrambling, trying to find someone to buy space. So people are saying, well, what the hell did I just go through this exercise for? They got to go to their leadership and say, Hey, you know, when I told you we should take care of this, might've been wrong, but you'd be wrong again you know, <laughs> in six months from now, you're going to come back to me and say, Hey, we made a mistake. Uh, you know, it, it just feels like that lack of stability, that lack of confidence in the marketplace. It's really all a marketplace wants. They want some kind of, 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 a, of, of a, at least a, the, a hint of stability. We just can't seem to bring it to that market right now or any market. I don't care if it's ocean freight, yeah. air freight. You just can't seem to find it, man. It's starting to really grind on people. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. You know, the kid here's, uh, this is an analogy or a comparison, but kids that you raise, they need barriers. They need to know what they can and can't do. They need that stability so they uh, can um, learn efficiently. And I was just talking to my wife about it. She's a first grade teacher that they, they, they need barriers and guidance and rails. So there's some consistency and uh, feel comfort with moving forward. And I think that's uh, kind of an analogy, if that's the right word, related to what you just indicated. Yeah. Well, unless your parents raised me like me, you know, barefoot in a pair of overalls and no T-shirt, free yep. ranging it with, uh, you know, watermelon and drinking out of a fire hose. I'm lucky I yeah. can read. Yeah. Chucking steaks out into the uh, into the forest and saying, go, go, go. Pharaoh like Lord of the Flies. It's about the way it works. Yeah. yeah. All right, my friend. Let her uh, rip. Your topic. Another weird week out of the Fed and our friends in Washington, D.C., who are kind of like Kevin Bacon at the end of Animal House. You know, all is well. Be calm. There's no reason to freak out. Uh, they're telling us that inflation is exactly where they want it. You know, we got them right where we want them. Everything's fine. And they decided not to raise rates. And then inflationary numbers come out. Now, keep in mind, we adjust these. So a month from now, we're going to get an adjustment back from all the central banks, all the economists. And they're going to say, OK, maybe we were off a little bit. But inflation globally continues to rise. And inflation here might have been a little stagnant. But what it feels like it's doing is it's just bumping on the ceiling. You know, it's just sort of bumping on the ceiling. Maybe it's coming down a little bit, but it's bumping on a ceiling, looking to go up again. It yep. hasn't stopped rising. And they're telling us everything is fine. But what I think they're not doing is looking at the macro picture globally. We're not seeing the influx of volume that we thought we would. We're not seeing consumer confidence rise. We're certainly not seeing people going out into re the retail sector and spending a lot of money now. The numbers that we're seeing on retail for back to school, we haven't gotten them officially in yet, but they're not looking good anecdotally from what we're hearing from the major retailers. And that also goes back to the e-com sellers. They're not giving us great numbers either. So if we're not seeing consumption rise, which is the main driver of the American economy, what's that telling us about what's going to happen with inflation? Job market, unemployment's not really rising dramatically. We're not seeing a continuous rise in wages. Our home situation is exactly where it was. People are not selling off their homes to go someplace else because they're keeping these outrageously low mortgages they had before. Doug, we are in a stall. We're in this stall and nothing that we can do can fix it. It might take an external force to do something to make inflation go away. And other than the Chinese economy finally collapsing or one of these regional conflicts really blowing up, which is probably a, a bad phrase to use on it. Um, I don't really know in the short term what can make it better. So I'm still saying February 2024, we're going to see the first spark on it. And uh, 2025, you're going to see a major dump in the U.S. house market. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Well, I think uh, your your whole point is as it's bumping up against the ceiling and there's still some uncertainty, I'm glad that the Fed is not ready, raising the interest rate because that impacts me personally um, <laughs> with, with my housing situation. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I was nervous about that, but I think, um, the, the point is it's just calm down. Let's stay the course. Let's get through this. Let's wait and see, which is, you know, the pendulum has gone back and forth dramatically in the last three years, you know, with COVID just like this injection. Um, and I think everybody's just chill out. Let's just wait and see, stay the course, get, you know, we've seen some 
businesses that are just shedding non-core competency, you know, things that were cool to buy during COVID uh, because of, uh, you know, the logistics tech that, that, that came in. So my point with all this, Pete, is that I think you're going to see a lot of people just chilling out, a lot of companies just waiting it out. And to your point, exactly what's going to change that? Some sort of external force, which could be good or could be bad. Oh, it's always bad, Doug. It's always bad. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm never optimistic. If I, in the years we've been doing the show, have I ever been positive once? Mm. I don't think, I don't think that I have, buddy. I don't yeah. think I've ever, I've ever been positive, not even once. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, cool. All right, well, let's jump into halftime. Um, Pete, you did a great job of explaining cap logistics and uh, and our connection and relationship there. But we'd encourage everybody to check out caplogistics.com. They're a great supporter of our program. And they're a great company out there that can help you out. So uh, good halftime today, Pete. You want to go first? Yeah, man, I'll go first. So sad news yesterday, Suzanne Summers, um, famous for a lot of things. Uh, but to me, famous uh, famous for her role in Three's company, um, passed away yesterday. And she was, um, you know, one of those iconic starlets of the 1970s. She was one of the, called them the poster girls. So it was her, Farrah Fawcett, um, you know, the Charlie's Angels girls. Um, she was one of those um, sex symbols that older gentlemen like Doug and I grew up with in the 1970s. Might have had a poster of her on your wall. But she was on a show called Three's Company that was a, uh, it was a, a sitcom. 1970s, I think it was ABC, um, 1970s ABC primetime sitcom that had a pretty wacky premise for the time. Like if, if we tried to sell it now, Doug, everybody would be like, huh? But the yeah. idea was pretty simple. Um, three young working adults that couldn't afford an apartment close to the beach in L.A. They lived in, I think it was Redondo Beach. And in order to have a man living with two women, he had to tell the landlord that he was gay. And that was sort of the premise. John Ritter um, was that was the was the character who had to pretend he was gay when he, in fact, was not. And he was living with these two insanely attractive women. And Mr. Roper and his wife were constantly almost catching him, you know, uh, on a date with a girl or down at the Regal Beagle. Um, and it was one of these shows in the 70s when I was a young guy. I watched with my parents, you know, as much as there was some sexual undertones with it it was it was pretty tame you know it was pretty vanilla but there were other shows in the 70s that were kind of a similar vein the love boat right the love boat was was a, a marketing gimmick done by princess cruise lines that would have three to four parallel storylines that ran in any one given one hour episode that might intersect with each other but they would have great guest stars suzanne summers was actually in the pilot of um of, of that show it was an excellent jj walker was in that one too you know it was, it was these were great shows um fantasy island was another one uh good times sanford and son one of the best tv shows that was ever made in my opinion the jeffersons on the family these were all wonderful shows that came out in the 70s that i have been watching again bob newhart in particular i, I probably watched five seasons of bob newhart from the mm-hmm. 1970s they're just all fantastic and, and when i look at those shows I'm amazed at how well they still hold up. And we mentioned earlier uh, Matlock, which was actually 80s, but a lot of the 80s ones are the same. The detective shows of the 1970s are still fantastic. If you have a chance to watch Beretta, if you have a chance to watch Starsky and Hutch, if you have a chance to watch The Rockford Files, these are all Quincy. These are all still excellent, excellent shows even now. Mm, Yeah. When you shot that over to me, I was thinking – 
I was like, there was this one gentleman that was the creative behind a handful of shows. You mentioned a few of them, but Norman oh, Lear. Norman Lear. Oh, Norman Lear was a genius. Yeah. Yeah. And first of all, the guy's 101 years old. He's still alive. He's still alive. Right? Yeah. He's still alive. And yeah. so for, for, I won't go into, you can Google more uh, Norman Lear, but all in the family, which you mentioned mod, which was a oh, little my. bit before, you know, I kind of had heard of it, didn't know much about it. Sanford and son, which you mentioned one day at a time, the Jeffersons, which was a, um, you know, a commentary on uh, a social commentary, like nobody's, right. you know, it was ge a generation ahead of its time. Right. And then good times, you made mention of that. So I was thinking Norman Lear and what he brought in, in the seventies, I think two or three of those shows were like one or two for years uh, on the different, uh, 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 different stations. So anyway, that's what popped in my mind when I, when I heard the seventies thing is that I can't believe the guy's still alive, 101, and the amount of uh, impact he had on uh, comedy television in the 70s is unbelievable. He, he and Mel Brooks are still best friends. They still have lunch almost every day. Really? Uh, yeah. The, um, one of my favorite trivia questions are just dopey things that fill my head. The, um, the interracial couple, couple that live next to the Jeffersons, I don't know if you remember this, but yeah, yeah. the black woman, the mother is Lenny Kravitz's mother. So, really? yeah, Lenny Kravitz, he grew up in a, in a entertainment family and that was his mom. So I, I'm, and she's from New Orleans. So of course it's how I know all that crap. Right. But that was one of those things that, that always got my attention, but you talk about funny, you, you can, you can sit down and watch five episodes of Sanford and son or, or the Jeffersons or all in the family. You will, you will laugh out loud. And then you'll say to yourself, there is no way. We could ever make this show in 2023. They would, yeah. they, they would never air a single episode of this today. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. That. Um, all right, what you got, man? All right. Well, speaking with the entertainment theme, I don't know if you knew, but literally today is Walt is uh, Disney, not Walt Disney, but the company Disney turns 100. Right, um, been around for 100 years, and I started thinking about all right. Initially, Pete, I was going to talk about companies that had been around for over 100 years, and I kind of going down a wormhole with that, and I, I decided to ditch it. But the, my take on this one is that Disney's had a tremendous impact, but really it was in 1928 that um, Mickey Mouse first joined us, but his name was Steamboat Willie. And um, it was kind of, I guess, a landmark, if that's the right word to use um, in animation I think it was the first time that sound and um, silent animation kind of came together. And that was kind of really the catalyst of, of what um, started, you know, the bread and butter at Disney, which is just these amazing animated movies that our kids grew up with. Well, let me back up even further. You and I grew up with Fantasia was another big one back in the day. Um, and then some of the, uh, the movies that are coming out. The only thing is that Disney um they've like gone overboard with commercializing uh some of their their movies if you look at the animation movies that have happened in the last probably five years like i don't even recognize any of the names right i mean it it was like i don't even know they made this it's almost they're just cranking them out because it's the disney franchise so um anyway disney's 100 today and it all started with steamboat willie i'm sure you've seen that one when he's doing the 
the uh, the wheel on the steamboat and kind of bouncing around. But that was the one uh, show, the one animated cartoon where they mixed still and sound together that really catapulted Disney, at least in my opinion. I'm sure you can have somebody make a comment on that one. But anyway, happy birthday, Disney 100. Not quite as old as Norman Lear, but uh, we'll give you a little credit there. In a strange twist, Doug, I'm visiting them on a client call tomorrow. So, um, yeah, so that's a little strange. Um, but, uh, you know, to me, Disney, now they're just an entertainment behemoth. They purchased one of the most important brands to me, which I know you don't care about, but they do own the Star Wars Lucasfilm franchise. They are also, they own Marvel. So in my world, they, they kind of own a major part of my entertainment universe. So Ooh. to me, that's a big deal. Um, on another, another side of that though, in all of my travels around the world, particularly in the eighties and the nineties, just iconic. It was, it, it was part of the American, uh, the American identity. When I was in Russia as a young guy, people, people identified, people identified Mickey Mouse and, and Minnie and Daffy and all of it with America, people that lived in Russia, people lived in China. They really wanted to come to Disney world. They just, they just saw that almost like Coca-Cola and McDonald's driving a Chevy and baseball with being American, that whole Disney part of the world. And it really has become a global brand. And I don't know if America and Disney are, are so much tied together now as it is a global concept. You've mm. got a Disneyland in France. There's one in Hong Kong now. It really has kind of overcome that connection with our country and has become something that I think the whole world owns now. And, uh, you know, the family itself now still owns part of the business from what I understand, but that I think is an interesting legacy to have from, from the perspective of something that was started with one man and one pen and one piece of paper. So it's a pretty cool story. Wow. Very eloquent. One man, one pen, one piece of paper a hundred years ago. Doug, when when I met Stan Lee and I think I've shared the story in the past when I finally met him and my daughter and I, she was younger then. she didn't quite understand what a big deal it was. And he shook my hand and I just thought to myself that hand created and drew almost every character that I care about when I was a kid, like when I was Charlotte's age, you know, all the X-Men, Spider-Man, the Hulk, like I, I, I was, I was blown away. I was like psychologically liquefied. I've met presidents. I didn't care as much as when, <laughs> you know, as when I met Stan Lee, man, like I was, I wow. thought it was out it was amazing and then when she said charlotte what do you want to be when you grow up and she said i want to be an artist and stanley said well are you drawing now and she said i am and he said well then don't ever let anyone tell you that you're not sweetheart and and i I was going to cry and to this day my daughter still remembers that we have a picture with him and he died a year later and just to you know have had that opportunity for her to to meet him and now she's become such a massive fan of marvel and She's a bigger DC fan, so I failed as a father. But you know, she she's 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 become such a big comic book fan. To have had that opportunity was a really special moment. Mm, good. Well, we're going to pivot away from that nerd topic that you just spoke oh, about. Shit. I'm sure Scott uh, well, Scott Go Lee. What's the guy's name? Whatever. Hey, you talk you talk kindly <laughs> about the USPS today, so I feel like I won. I'm going to get oh, you okay. pro drones by the end of today. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, mm-hmm. hey Pete, I'm not sure if you realize, but peak season's over. By the Ooh. way done it's official and um yeah uh nobody really knew peak season even was here came and went 
right? Ships aren't full, rates are still in the decline. And there's this association or, or this group called Hackett Associations, associates maybe, uh, predicted no cargo growth for the near-term horizon. It's a little ambiguous is near-term months or, or years. Um, but my point with this, Pete, is that Q1 is traditionally, I've heard the term quiet season in the import business and ocean freight. There's just not a lot going on, you know, and then I think the second quarter is kind of like food and produce and it kind of goes uh, through four four cycles. But my whole point is if if nobody even had any impact with the 2023 peak season, what is the quiet season going to look like in Q1 of 2024? With the things we spoke about on your first topic, everybody calm down, wait and see. Let's just, you know, not do anything that's going to upset the apple cart. We didn't have a peak season. We'll see what consumers do um, in, in Q4 in the holiday season. I'm afraid that Q1 in the quiet season is going to turn into the silent season, <laughs> right? Um, that it's going to be just non-existent and it's going to be uh, pretty impactful. I don't yeah. want to say negatively impactful because I'm hoping for a little bit of a light there, but I'm interested to see what the hell happens in Q1 because nothing blipped in, in Q, Q3 and Q4 related to peak season. Maybe things, Pete, before you, before you jump in, maybe after Chinese New Year, right? There's been always some pent-up demand because Chinese New Year with a couple of years off or a couple of weeks off, that pent-up demand kind of you know catapults a little bit, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. So maybe things will change after Chinese New Year, but I'm a little nervous on Q1. Nope. Nope. <laughs> No, All right. Nope. Nope. No, this is this is going to continue to be just a listen, man. I say it all the time, Doug. Embrace the suck. OK, embrace yeah. the suck. The, the, the rebound is not going to happen anytime soon. Manufacturing starts out of China. New contracts out of China continue to be down. Um, employment numbers out of China continue to slide the ones that they're not telling us about, right? So the ones that we're able to get out of China continue to slide. Um, exports out of China are still around those 2019 numbers, which aren't bad. They're not bad. Like we shouldn't yeah. be upset about them. They're not bad. Uh, but volumes, no, they're down. And if anything, the state of the American economy and the Western economies, given all the conflicts around the world, people get scared to spend money when people get scared. And people are getting scared. So we should bear that in mind. When people get scared, volumes go down. Sorry, Doug. Uh, for all these all these folks that are full of hope and promise for things yet to come, next year, another bad year. So <laughs> Hackett and Associates, whomever they were, with their with their it's like economist language, right? We all want to hedge our bets when we talk about things. Now I'll just say it. Embrace the suck. It'll be a bad yeah. year. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, Ed, I'm. I'm glad that you brought some negativity into the show, Pete. Because uh, no, wait, you did that in your first little bit, so you're you're living up to uh, to your standards. Doctor Doom, baby, that's what I do yeah. here, Doug. Yeah, yeah, you got your Johnny Cash black on too, so you're you're in full full character. You ever heard of Marmite, Doug? That stuff Australians eat on toast. Uh, no, it, it tastes awful, but it's good for you. I'm the Marmite of this show. Don't have to like it, but it's what's best for you. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. All right. Bring us home. So last topic this week, um, 
it really, it has to do with something that doesn't get enough attention, period. But we always talk about what's going to happen. You know, we'll talk about what is happening, but we try to get towards what's happening in the future. Right now, there's a lot of attention being paid to currency markets, whether it's the fact that the Chinese RMB continues to slide because of what's happening with, with their deflationary economy. That's not good at all. Uh, but what's gotten a lot of attention lately is the fact that the euro, you know, it was, it was down against the dollar, had a little rise for a little bit, but it's starting to look like it's going to be a parity. Why is that something that you and I and people in transportation care about? Pretty simple. We want America and the European Union, we as Americans, we want the European Union to have a currency that's not too far off the dollar. And the reason for that is we compete with European countries, Germany, definitely France, you know, the UK, um, when it comes to higher end exports, innovation exports. So figure pharmaceuticals, aerospace, high end precision manufacturing, um, military equipment, the list goes on and on software, healthcare devices. So we don't want our products necessarily to end up being more expensive because of currency pressures. So if a, um, a country outside of the European Union, like Japan, let's say, uh, or Singapore or Australia is looking to buy equipment like that, and they are looking at the United States as a supplier or a country in the European Union, and all things being equal, currency isn't one of the things that could drive it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily more expensive. Maybe they'll buy American based off of innovation factors or quality factors or just based on reputation. So this is actually a good thing because generally head to head, American products tend to prevail. When you look at them statistically, we do we do pretty damn good on the global market. We tend to make products that people want to buy. So that's good for the American economy. And it's excellent for the kind of jobs that we're trying to keep here in America. So we kind of want this to happen. So we'll be watching that on the show. We'll be reporting on it as we see more about it. Yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten more attention, right? Whenever, I mean, it is, it's not like, oh, it's, you know, 1.2 or what. I mean, it is almost dollar for dollar the same, right? Which is crazy. And if you look at, you know, when you kicked that over this morning, Pete, I'm like, okay, let's look at the historical nature. It's been pretty the parody's been there for for a while the the last time i went back i'm like how far back do you have to go where it was meaningful and it was 2008 yeah. i think it was you know uh 1.6 dollar 60 equal to a, a euro and that that's big and that's kind of how i've always per perceived it but uh, perceived it to be but holy cow i mean i don't understand why more people aren't talking about it let's talk about some good news with reshoring and nearshoring in America, I don't understand why there's not a headline on the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Evening News that talks about the good that that parody is going to bring here to the United States. So 100%, I'm glad you brought it up because I don't think anybody's talking about it, at least in, in you know, I'm not seeing a lot of it um, related to that, but uh, it's a good point. And I think it uh, bears well for, um, for good old US of A. Well, Doug, why would anybody get their news from those sources when they could just come here to Global Trade this week? Ah, I love it. That's right. And it is weekly. It's Global mm -hmm. Trade this week. Yeah. Just come and, and with that with that one, Pete, that's a pretty good transition. You did it, not me. So we'll, that's why uh, I was we'll good, Doug. I know. That was a good transition. So we'll leave it at that. We'll wrap up this episode, Global Trade This Week. 
Um, I think it was a pretty good show, Pete. We had good commentary on halftime and some really solid topics. So thank you all for listening. Thank Cap Logistics for putting this thing on the air, so to speak. And Keenan pushing the buttons and turning the levers. And uh, as I say, giving us a soapbox to talk about what uh, what we were bringing to the table in a forward-looking perspective on international trade. Um, that's it, man. Pete, have a good weekend. I'll see you, or a good week. I'll see you next week. See you, buddy. Take care, everybody. Okay. All right. Bye. See you.